0: Welcome to Church at Five. See some new faces, maybe some Sunday morning faces. So uh, welcome to the other side. Glad you could join us. Uh, Yeah, so we're finishing off our, well, we're really finishing off the year. Uh, Today is the last service of Church at Five of 2021. Thank you. Thank you. That's the team. They know what I was looking for there. Uh, Yeah, it is sad. It is sad that we're ending. Uh, we're also going to be ending our Advent series that we did. Uh, Kind of we had to smush it down into just three weeks. Uh, Enter the light, we've called it. And as typically the third Advent uh, is traditionally one of love or kind of connected with love. So we're going to be doing that even though it's technically fourth Advent. It's our third Advent sermon. So uh, hope that's all right with you guys. Uh, Through this series... Those of you who haven't been a part of it uh, at all, or uh, as a reminder for the rest of us, uh, through this series, we've been focusing on how we can be best equipped as Christians today to shine with the light of Jesus Christ in this world, because that's what we should be doing as Christians. And in our first week, we titled it uh, Rise and Shine and it was a challenge for all of us who truly follow Jesus, To those of us who see Jesus Christ as our Lord today, for us to rise up, to rise up and to shine in this dark world. And to rise up, we need to rise up out of something. We need to rise up out of the darkness that we've been born into, to be who we have become. We've been made new. We are new creatures in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so we need to rise up. Now, when I say those of us who are believers, I mean those who have regenerate hearts, not simply that you go to church or that you call yourself a Christian, but that your heart is being changed and transformed. You're being made into the image of Christ. Those who have been made new. And for those of us who have a regenerate heart, we have been called to a purpose to shine with the light of Jesus Christ in this world. And that is the core of this whole series. We started with it. We've kind of touched on it every week. We'll talk about it again today. And to do this, we need to let go of what we once were. We talked about that in the first week. We need to let go of what we once were. Our sinful hearts, our sinful desires, that stuff drags us down. It always wants to pull us. We have this inner kind of conflict, as Paul talks about. You know, what we want to do, what I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I do. We have this, this inner conflict and we need to put off the old self. We need to die to ourselves and put on the new self. And it's an action. We need to be who we are. We've already become new. We need to walk by the Spirit, testifying. And when we do, we are testifying to the goodness and the transformative work of God through the Holy Spirit. And this will be seen in our life as a testimony and a light to the world around us. And last week I mentioned that when we talk about being a light, we want to be purposeful. We, want, we don't want to just shine uh, all over the place without thinking about where are we, what's going on in the world. And when we think about the time that we're in, the culture that we're in, and the crazy kind of situations that we find ourselves in in the last couple of years especially, where there's just so much uncertainty and it's bred fear and anxiety and depression at a, in a way that we haven't seen maybe in a while, especially at least here in the West, it's a dark time that we're in and in that the world i think at its greatest need right now is peace it needs peace a peace that surpasses understanding this is an important way that we need to show the light of Jesus and I talked about last week and I'll point out again this is so important we need we we do this by allowing by allowing the peace of God to dwell in our hearts it's there We're new, we're new creatures in Christ. This peace is offered to us. We have to allow it by putting off the old self and allowing the peace of God to dwell in our hearts. It's a decision to allow peace in our hearts. And we wanna do that, that we may experience God's peace and grace and hope in our own life. It's a good thing, it's nice to have God's peace. It's a better way of life than living with fear and anxiety. We can trust in our creator, right? So we wanna have that peace. We wanna let that peace dwell in our hearts that it may also then be seen in our life. This also becomes a great light, a great testimony to others, to the world around us, that it's shrouded in darkness and uncertainty and, and fear, and we have peace. And when we have peace and hope in all circumstances, a peace that surpasses our own understanding, our own understanding of the world around us and the situation we might even find ourselves in, people will want to know why. Why do you have peace? People will want to know how how is it that you're so peaceful in the midst of everything? And then when they do ask, inevitably, we can give a good reason, a good reason for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ alone. And that's a good thing too. And today I want to conclude this series keeping this focus in mind with a message of of humility and an image of humility. An image and an experience of hope And one of love, of great, great sacrificial love. And this is something that we see that encompasses all of Advent and this Christmas season. Now the passage that uh, we had read there for us, not a typical Christmas passage you might be thinking, interesting choice. Uh, Typically we might think of like Luke chapter 2, that's more appropriate scripture for Christmas, feels a little bit more Christmassy. And when we think about Christmas, we're going to, especially for those of us who've grown up in church or been around church or even, you know, grown up in the West where there is a lot of Christian influence, we're going to think of baby Jesus born in a manger, you know, the typical nativity scene. And it's a good depiction. It's a good thing to think about, but I think we, I want to kind of just... Uh, Maybe especially for those who've heard the story many times, as I know I have. Let's think about that for a minute. Because a baby being born isn't particularly special. There, I said it. And I have two kids. Lots of babies are born every single day, if you didn't know. Now, of course, if, you know, if it's your baby, it's obviously the most beautiful baby ever born. And special and unique. It's a miracle. I know my kids are the most beautiful kids ever born. Uh, so... Everybody else is just second best. And but in 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 general, a baby being born, you know, lying in a manger, in itself, this would be lost in history. Nothing quite unique or special about it in itself. We would never would have heard of it, nor be talking about it today. What makes us so unique, so memorable? that thousands of years later, we would still be talking about it, celebrating it, remembering it. Well, of course, it's because of who it was that was born. Who it was that was born on that day. And this is what I want us to be thinking about, but stepping out a little bit, a little bit further back. Who was it? So this was not simply the son of Mary. This was not simply the son of Mary. For Mary herself the mother of jesus would call him lord one day and the more that we understand who jesus is who it was that laid helplessly as a baby in that manger the more we begin to understand the love of god the nature of god and the sacrifice of jesus the true sacrificial nature of his coming at all this is why i want to look at john to broaden our minds beyond the simple or typical narrative of the nativity itself, and to contemplate the immeasurable and the timeless truth that's really happening, the timeless truth of this otherwise seemingly insignificant moment in time, the birth of another baby. John 1, verse one through two let's read again, or some of that verse, some verse do in the beginning. Was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now, John takes an interesting approach to the Nativity narrative. No mention of genealogies, no accounting of Mary and Joseph being told of Jesus or the birth of Jesus that would come, no shepherds or wise men coming to visit the baby, no mention of Jesus' birth at all here in the beginning, doesn't feel very Christmassy. Matthew, on the contrary, links Jesus all the way back to Abraham through David, showing him to be the promised Messiah of the Old Testament, the one that was promised to come all the way back to the covenant that God made with Abraham. Luke shows how Jesus is connected all the way back to Adam, going back even further, demonstrating Jesus to be the perfect man Where Adam failed and fell into temptation, Jesus would live a perfect, holy life. That's big picture stuff. But John goes back a little bit further to the beginning of time. In fact, even before time, before creation of anything, before anything existed, the word was there. The word was there. Now, the word is referring to Jesus, if you didn't pick up on that yet. The word is referring to Jesus. And actually, the word there is logos. And according to Greek philosophers, logos means the power that set the world in perfect order and kept it going in perfect order, right? So the logos was the ultimate reason that controlled all things. That's where this idea comes from. And Jewish rabbis going way back, would often actually refer to God himself in terms of his word. They would refer to God, in, especially in his more personal aspects, as the word of God. So in the mind of an ancient Jew, the phrase the word of God could be interchanged to refer to God himself, holding the same weight and truth to identify him. And this was actually even done in some old Hebrew translations of the Bible. So John is doing a lot in this, just this first sentence uh, of his accounting of the gospel. Now John is obviously, again, referring to Jesus as the Word. And he's pointing out that Jesus was there before the beginning. He was there before the beginning. Meaning, you cannot go back far enough to see where Jesus first came into existence, He was already there in the beginning, meaning he himself has no beginning. He doesn't have a beginning. He was always there. He has always been. He will always be. He didn't come into existence when he was born as a baby. He was always there. This is what John's pointing out to us. And John here is doing something really fascinating. I'll just point to you just because I found it interesting. John is simultaneously explaining to the Jew and to the Greek, Something really fascinating about the nature of Jesus. Explaining to the Jew and the Greek that all they knew and understood of the word or the logos was here personified in Jesus Christ. This is it. This is where everything comes together. This is the creator. He is the creator God. He is he who brings order out of chaos He is the ultimate reason. He is God, creator of the universe, the incarnation of the Almighty. John is saying a lot in a very few words here. He's also pointing to the unity of the Father and the Son. The Word was with God. The Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. This kind of overlapping, meaning that Jesus and God are one, unique persons, yet one in perfect unity and love with one another. This is a lot, I know. It's like, I thought this was gonna be a nice, light Christmas, Christmassy sermon. Now thinking on this, thinking about this, who this is, who this baby is, jump back with me now to that manger. It looks different. It looks different when we think about it like this. It becomes more amazing. A tiny, innocent, helpless baby lying amongst some smelly animals, completely reliant on his mother, helpless human baby. And in verse 3 it says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Referring to Jesus also as creator in Colossians one sixteen, one one of my favorite images of this, For in him, and that's in Jesus Christ, in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Jesus is God. He is creator of all things. He is fully God. And he is fully man. It's starting to feel remarkable almost inconceivable when we think about this baby Jesus. And what becomes, becomes even more mind-boggling is when we in our human nature think about that, think about who God is, creator, timeless, coming in as a baby. Have you ever seen a baby? They're pretty useless in themselves. It's amazing to think about A God humbling himself down to that. I mean, you know, crying. Going to the bathroom on themselves. It's an image of humility. And we in our human nature, we tend to want to go the other way. We have a longing and a desire. We always want to be, we want to go more. We want to be stronger. We want to be wiser than we are. And some think that they are a little bit more than they actually are. There's an inerrant part of us that longs to be God-like. god like It's in our human nature, this pride that's just built into us to be God-like. And here we have the creator. We have God himself wanting for nothing, needing nothing, perfect in himself, perfect in his unity with himself, perfect in love, putting on weak human flesh as a baby. Now, I would hope, at least, I mean, for me, I don't know, and I've heard this story Thousands of times, I hope that you're, be, you're beginning to be a little bit more amazed at what's going on in the nativity, what's going on in that manger. Again, even if you do know this story well, even if you've heard it thousands, hundreds of times, I know I have, and yet I am continually amazed when I really think about this for a moment, when I ponder what's really going on, that this tiny child was the creator of the universe humbling himself to that position. The creator of every living thing that's ever been. And everything that's ever been owes its very existence to this baby that lied in that manger. As we're kind of uh, focusing on enter the light, let's take a step, let's go back to the beginning of a of, uh, after, so this is, you know, after Jesus, is, he's existed, obviously, before beginning, but here we have the beginning, Genesis 1, Genesis 1, 3 through 4, and God, now, you know, and God, that's also, Jesus was there, right, the word was there, he was with God, he was there at the beginning, he is God, so, and God, and Jesus Christ said, let there be light, let there be light, and there was light, God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. Now, without getting in too deep, you can have a conversation with me after if you'd like. Uh, But chapter 1 of Genesis is, is written very poetically. And whether or not you want to take it as a literal accounting or an allegory or even a metaphor, however you want to look at it, what I see is clear is that God is the creator. God is the creator. He is the one who brought things into existence. And everything that is in existence was brought there through Jesus Christ and for his glory. And for his glory. What always fascinated me is that light is the first thing to be created. Light is the first thing to be created, even before any natural source of light as we understand it. There's no sun, there's no stars, but there's light. Light is brought into existence. This creation of light is the creation of the contrast to the darkness in every sense. Darkness is associated in our minds and historically with with death, with sin, with despair, Darkness has this connotation that drags us down when we think on it. And conversely, light is associated with life, with sight, with hope. Verse 4 of our text in John, it says, In him, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So at this point, John is still talking about Jesus in his eternal existence. Every breath ever breathed by any living thing was breathed by the grace of God. For all things have been made through Jesus and all things have been made for Jesus. He is the creator, the giver of life and light. The creator of the universe. And he came to this earth As a baby, he humbled himself down into human flesh. Why would a God, why would a creator, infinite in power, eternal in existence, do something like that? We really can't grasp it. Because if we're really honest, we wouldn't do it. We wouldn't do it. We wouldn't be willing to give up. I mean, would you give up your life for someone else? Would you give up everything that you have, everything going for you, to someone else who doesn't have that? Would you lower yourself for others? I mean, when we think about it, when we think about even how we love those that we really love, and we ask ourselves, have I hurt them? Have I been have I betrayed them? Have I have I done something intentionally or unintentionally to hurt them? We have this idea that we're we're better than we are and here we have god who's perfect who would bring himself so low to become a baby verse five of our text says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it i think that goes all the way back to creation from the moment that Light was brought into existence. Darkness would never and can never prevail over it. The creator of light and life will never allow the light to be extinguished. Darkness will never prevail. Sin, in all of its enticing allure, could not cause Jesus to stumble. He did not give into despair or hatred or jealousy because Jesus is himself the light of life, the creator and the giver of light and life. And he came to this world so that he could be the light to live a perfect life and become the propitiation of our sins. You see, we're born in the darkness. We're born in the darkness We're born dead in our sin, blind to our own fault and foolishness. We deserve punishment and death for our sins. But the light of the world, who himself created the world, humbled himself down to human flesh so that he might take on our sin and give us his holiness. How remarkable. Lying in that manger as a helpless baby was the giver of life and light and our only hope of salvation. Without this baby born on this Christmas day, as we remember it, there is no hope for humanity. We are left blind, dead in our sin, lost in the darkness. But the good news is is that he came, the promised Messiah, the hope of the world, the light of the world has come. So then, what should we do with this? How should we respond to this truth? It should move us. It should motivate us. It should fill us with light and hope. It should encourage us. And what should we respond with? Since we don't, I'm keeping it a bit short today. We should respond with love. We should respond with love. And the more that you really understand it, the more that you wouldn't even be able to hold back Let me read 1st John since we're looking at John's writing we'll just keep keep that up 1st John 4 pretty popular passage on love 1st John 4 9 through 12 this is how God showed his love among us he sent his only one and only son into the world that we might live through him see we were dead we might live through him that's our only hope of life We might live through him. Verse 10, this is love. This is love. I just want to pause on that. This is love because the world has a lot of ideas about what love is. We often have a lot of ideas about what love is, what we love. I know, especially in English, if you ask people what they love, it'll be like their kids, their car, you know, a good steak, a cold beer. I mean, you know, it's like, all right, that's a broad spectrum of things that you love we have a very false and deluded understanding of love and here it is this is love not that we loved God because we had nothing to give but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins dear friends since God so loved us we also ought to love one another so there's how we should respond if we really understand the love we've received. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So how is God's love seen in the world? How, what does love really look like? Well, it looks like sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ dying for our sins, coming from heaven, eternal creator of the universe coming down as a baby humbling himself so low living a perfect life dying for our sins the thing to understand about jesus birth is its perfect expression of god's love for us it's perfect expression of god's love for us because god in himself within the trinity is a perfect expression of love god is love which means he doesn't need our love. We don't add anything to God's existence. We don't add anything to God's existence. And that should be good news. He's not reliant on us. And he wasn't just simply curious. I wonder what it'd be like to be human. He wasn't doing He was doing just fine without us. He was doing just fine on his own. He didn't need to even save us, but he loves us. But he loves us so much that Jesus, the Word, the Son of God, God himself, came down so low to be born in the weakest of human forms, a baby, so that he may live a perfect life. I know I said this, but (laughs) that he may live a perfect life die an unjust death on a cross to make an exchange to take on our sin and we know we're sinful to take on our sin and give us his righteousness, his perfect righteousness, his holy righteousness, his holiness as God, as creator. He says, here, I'll take your sin. You can have this. Boy, that should fill us with hope. That should fill us with peace. We should get excited about this. It's Advent. It's Christmas. You should be excited about this. This is the time to be thinking about this, to be focusing on this. Whatever's happening in the world, you have eternal salvation through Jesus Christ. That's good news. Whatever's going on in the world, whatever's going on in your life, that's something to grab onto, to hold onto, and to share with the world around you. We should be responding with love. And we first respond in our love for God, right? This is love. Not that we first loved God, but that he loved us. And we love him because he first loved us. That's it. That's how it looks. You understand it. You look up. You begin to understand what it is that Christ did. What it is that happened on that day when Jesus came and was born as a baby. And you should be filled with love for him. Filled with love. Wow. How amazing. How amazing that a creator would humble himself so low. I can't even grasp it. But I wanna love him. And I wanna love him because he first loved me. Because his love is perfect. His love is perfect. And I know mine is not. Yours isn't either. Sorry. Our love is not perfect, but we give him what we have. We pour ourselves out because of the great love that we've received. It fills us. His love fills us, and we just want to pour it back to him. And this leads to the second response, and that is the love that we receive from God is poured out on everyone around us, poured out on one another. And this love should be seen, especially it should be seen in the church. It should be seen in how we love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. We should love one another not fight, not get into arguments and disagreements about this and that, not struggle, not have jealousy. We should love one another. In fact, I mean, John even goes a bit further. I mean, if, you, if, you're, if you can't love one another, if, you're not, if you can't forgive one another and love one another, you haven't received the love of God. You don't get it. You don't understand it. You've not received the love of God. You don't have a regenerate heart. I would even go as far to say that if you are incapable of loving others, you don't know Christ. And I don't say that to freak you out, but man, if you have somebody, I just, I just can't forgive them. I'll never forgive them. Then you don't understand what you've been forgiven of. You don't understand what Christ has done. You don't understand the great love and sacrifice and humility of Jesus Christ coming to this earth the way he did for you. Because when you do, nothing anyone can do to you in this life, everything will pale in comparison. It will be drowned out in the immense love that you've received. So we should love one another. We are united as the body of Christ and we have a common understanding, a common hope, a common faith and this unites us in a deep way. And so we should love one another and stand together and support one another. And that love that we have should be deep. It should be authentic. We should be supporting and encouraging one another, sharpening one another. That means sometimes rebuking, sometimes pointing sins out in one another when necessary. But we should be standing together in love for one another as the church. And we need that today. We need that we need to be, as a church, standing together and standing firm together. That's not on my notes, it's just in my heart, so you can ask the Holy Spirit about that later. Now, this love should also be seen in a desire for the lost to come to a knowledge of the truth. So we should love each other, but we should also have a, a deep desire for the lost to come to a knowledge of the truth. That others would understand the love that you've received. That others would be able to come to the hope that you have, the hope that you've received in Jesus Christ. That they themselves would be able to experience it and live in it. So we should love one another. We should also have a deep desire for the lost to come to a knowledge of the truth. In verse 8, it says that he himself, and this is referring to John the Baptist, he himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. And this is true of all believers. We don't produce any light in ourselves. It's not through our strength. It's not because you just have enough faith. And if you just, you know, if you're on your knees enough and you do the right formulas, that then you'll just be this brighter light in the world. It's not through understanding and getting really deep in your doctrinal, uh, just you know, having a deep understanding of the Bible and the backgrounds and everything. It, it, it's not that. That's not what produces the light. It is all a gift of God by the grace of God and a demonstration of his love for you. It's a demonstration of his love for you. So everything else that we do when we pray, when we're trying to build up our faith, when we're trying to understand the word of God, it's a response to the change that's happened. It can never go the other way. We don't produce. And though the light is not from us, it is in us. It's not from us, but it is in us through the Holy Spirit. And we should be witnesses to this light that we've received in the world. And let me leave you with one thing that you can immediately start living this out today. Actually, maybe one and a half. I've got two things here, but I'm running out of time. Number one, the number one thing, if you're not doing it, you need to do it. If you're doing it, you need to do it more. (laughs) And that is pray. You need to pray. Pray. This, is, this really hit me hard this week. I get busy, you know. Sometimes my, my prayers are, are not me taking time and saying, all right, I'm going to get in. I'm just going to pray. I just want to seek the Lord. I want to bring this up to God and bring this before the Lord with fervent, zealous heart. We need to pray more. And we need to pray with our whole hearts and I, let me just say, you don't, it's not, you don't need to pray perfect doctrine. You don't need to pray perfect doctrine. We should try to increase our, our understanding of doctrine, but you don't have to pray perfect doctrine. If you think, oh, I don't know, I, just, I don't know if, if, if I'm saying it right, or ah, I just, you know, I'm just going to avoid certain topics when I'm praying. Man, don't worry about perfect doctrine. Don't worry about eloquent speech or beautiful poetic you know, prayers that just you know, even rhyme and have like, you know, different sections or whatever. Just pray, pray. You simply need to pray with one thing in mind, that you are reliant on Jesus Christ as you pray. You are reliant on Jesus Christ as you pray. And when you pray, pray believing. Pray believing, knowing that it's not you, it's His strength. It's not by your power or your light, but His, the Holy Spirit within you. Pray believing. Oh, what would it look like? What would it look like if... All regenerate Christians were fervent, zealous prayers. Let me tell you, let me give you an example of what I think about when I think about this. As as a church leader, I'll confess to you, I'll confess before you. I get caught up sometimes in the programs. I get po- caught up in the methods and the means of how, how should we do the ministry that we're called to do as a church? What should it look like? And, and we can get really bogged down in, in kind of the different ministries and different outreaches and this and this and forget how important it is to simply be on our knees before Christ. We need to pray. Now it's important to, to, to do all those things. But let me tell you the truth. Let me tell you the truth. If every single one here in this room, if every single person here in this room can f- just committed to praying daily for this church, for the leadership of this church, and for the outreach that we are called to do in this city, it would have a greater impact than all the programs and events that we could plan if we had an unlimited budget. Guaranteed. There's so many examples of how God has done amazing things with so little. When people pray. We need to pray. Commit to praying. So we do work as we should. We want to do the work that we're called to do. But we have to remember it is by the power of the Holy Spirit through the work of Jesus Christ that changes the hearts. And that's what we're after. That's why we're here. We're not here to just you know simply have a building and a get together and play you know sing some songs and listen to some some bible teaching we want to see people we want to see people being transformed lives being changed by the power of the holy spirit and it's not about how perfect our programs are how perfect the band plays or how can, you know well constructed our sermons are ultimately it is the power of the holy spirit that changes the hearts so i say that to say don't underestimate You praying has a greater impact than you think. It might be the thing that changes the whole trajectory of our church. It might be your prayers that God uses to transform someone's life. Don't underestimate it. We need to pray. And when we do, we are reliant on Jesus. Ask God to give you a heart of prayer. Ask God to give you a heart of prayer if you don't have it. Or you think, you know what, I, I pray sometimes. I pray when, I, when, I, when I'm struggling, when I need things, I'm praying, but that's about, that's about it. That's my prayer life. I mean, sometimes I bless my food, if I remember, or you know, if I'm visiting my parents. Ask God to give you a heart of prayer, and, that, and that's going to be my prayer too over this holiday, that we get back to just this heart of prayer and seeing that prayer makes a difference. Prayer can feel really small. And, and, you know, we want to go out. We want to, we want to get our hands on something. We want to do something. We want to see results. The reason I want to point you to prayer especially is how it, I think it connects with the nature of the season or what I've been pointing out to. You. Prayer is a humble act. Prayer is a humble act, you know? Prayer is a humble act. And it acknowledges that I'm not in control, you know? It acknowledges that I'm not in control. I can spend hours constructing my sermon perfectly, but man, if, I'm not, if I haven't prayed over that sermon, it might just fall on deaf ears. It was all for nothing. But nobody sees me praying. Nobody sees what we're doing when we're alone in our room. It can be It's a humbling act. Ah, but we need to be humble. We need to humble ourselves, and we need to pray. We need to be clear that we put our trust in something greater than ourselves that we trust in the work of the Holy Spirit, that we believe and trust in the plans of God and we trust in the salvation of Jesus Christ and Him alone. So in conclusion, let me read verse 9. Again, that says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. There's this hope. It was coming. And now today we can say, He has come. He has come so we should shine. This Christmas, I want to remind you to think on just the sacredness, the holiness of that night. Let me ask you guys all just to close your eyes. Just close your eyes. This is off the cuff, so bear with me here. Let's think about it. Think about that tiny, helpless baby. Think about the sacredness the holiness of a creator of the universe, the Lord of lords, the king of kings, humbled to the lowest of positions amongst humans, a baby. You can look up. So if he, if he, if God, creator, who is so great, so infinite, so immeasurable, could bring himself so low for your salvation, should we not be willing to humble ourselves, to shine, to proclaim the great truth that we ourselves have received, to demonstrate and to show the love that we have through our understanding of our salvation through Jesus Christ and his coming and laying down his life for our sake, that we would be humble and be willing to humble ourselves to pray for the lost and to pray for one another and to love one another. And with our whole heart, with our entire being, be willing to proclaim the love that we ourselves have been shown in this world. Amen. All right. Well, today as we close, um, I invite you, you can stay seated. I'm going to invite uh, Mario who, to come up here in a moment and um, or make his